This is episode 54 and was recorded on January 10th and made available for download January 13th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. So, what have we got this week, Jeff? Well, on this week's Squawk Box, he's at the 10, the 5, touchdown! Oh, but there's a flag on the play. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, December's monthly report, Reverse the Verse episode 29, and 10 for the Riders episode 2. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we cross the system nicks. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. We've added a new feature to our website, GuardFrequency.com, a Patreon campaign button. We've got a variety of rewards and backer levels, but essentially, if you know how Kickstarter works, you're most of the way there. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We thank everybody who's already chipped in and hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the school box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. The situation's normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Since the earliest days of humanity's space endeavors, we've been throwing away huge chunks of the vehicles used to propel us into the deep black. Some of those chunks are discarded before the payload even hits orbit, some of them at the end of the mission. Most of the rest of the chunks end up fried on re-entry, or sent to a watery grave in one of the oceans, or carted off to a museum. With the notable exceptions of the now-retired Space Shuttle Orbiter and booster rockets, and the experimental scale composite Spaceship One, human spacecraft typically don't fly twice. Enter SpaceX, in that company's crusade to lower launch costs to something less than astronomical. <sighs> They've decided that landing a first-stage booster is a thing in the 21st century. Fiery doom in the stratosphere? Oh, how Sputnik. Ocean splashdowns? Oh, so 1980s. Retro thruster landings on robot sea platforms? Oh my. Unfortunately, this is a first attempt, and as with many first attempts, not everything goes exactly to plan. According to Elon Musk's Twitter account, the booster hit the platform a little harder than intended. The landing wasn't perfect, but it, quote, bodes well for the future, unquote. Also, they will learn a lot by, quote, piecing it together from telemetry and actual pieces, unquote. Initial analysis suggests that adding a little extra hydraulic fluid will help allow the newfangled stabilizer fins to work longer in the thicker atmosphere near the Earth's surface. So let's go ahead and score this routine. First, difficulty score. SpaceX's program was boost a critical cargo payload to the International Space Station, turn the entire first stage around, slow from hypersonic speed, re-enter the atmosphere, and hit a 300 by 60 foot platform in the dark in foggy weather in the middle of the ocean. Hmm. Program difficulty score, 9.7. A controversial 9.2 from the French. Second, the execution score. Orbital insertion of cargo capsule on profile. Deorbit of booster. Re-entry, descent, and platform intercept. Check, 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 and check. All on profile. Terminal grounding maneuver. Ooh, not on profile. Execution score, 8.9. Sorry, SpaceX. The Yugoslavian judge really screwed you out of the gold there. Next time, remember, you gotta stick the landing. I'm impressed. I, I was, too. I mean, this is pretty... That's pretty... Amazing for our first attempt. You know, we're not going to, like, try to land on a big continent somewhere in the middle of the desert. No, we're going to stick a little half-an-acre little thing out in the middle of the ocean, and we're going to bring it down from near orbit and touch down on it and recapture the whole thing intact. First try. They mostly got it. They just kind of crushed the platform a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, here I am. I can't even throw rolled-up balls of paper into the waste bin from the other side of the room first try. So to do something like this, oh, this is science beyond Someone my understanding. Someone ought to this. Well, I'd like to see somebody Kerbal Space Program this. Oh, they probably already have. I expect if we quickly Google it, that it'll already be done. But, I mean, it, the the whole 
thing as a whole, though, the entire concept just makes so much sense. In a day when budgets are being cut, the more reusable components you can get to enable you to do these sort of things, the better. And I know that SpaceX is a private company, but obviously a lot of what they do, they work with NASA, and it will no doubt be fed back into the NASA program in some way. So, you know, this is all boding really well for the future. And yeah, they, like you said, they stuck the landing. But other than that, it was it was basically perfect. So, no, really, yeah. really good stuff from the SpaceX team. Well, they've already figured out sort of what's wrong. Uh, apparently, the hydraulic system is like a once through. It's not like a like a pump system, like your power right. brakes or whatever. They just they have it press under pressure. They release the pressure. It powers the fins and things for the ninety seconds, one hundred eighty seconds. It's supposed to actually work, and then it just the the fluid is is no longer pressurized and can't operate equipment anymore. They just poured more in, and so next time the the fins and stuff will be able to operate for a longer period of time, giving them some additional uh, window of control. And the one estimate that I saw, what you're saying about reusable parts, they expect the cost of launches to come down to one percent of current. That is two orders of magnitude just mm. by being able to recover the first stage booster. That is crazy. And but I mean, think about it. If you can use the same booster ten times. Yeah, 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 you, absolutely. You know, I mean, that, that's that's a tenfold decrease in cost right there, just because you're using the same booster. And then if it's uh, you don't have to transport it as far, you know, because you just basically pick it up a few miles downrange from where downrange from where it launched. I mean, it's yep. you know, it's it's uh, it, it's pretty impressive. I figured somebody was going to do this at some time. I mean, it only made sense that reusable launch vehicles in the future, in the near 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 future, would be the best way to to achieve uh, some of our <clears throat> outbound uh, space exploration. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that the whole mission here was just to deliver cargo, and that went off without a hitch. So, I mean, even though the Yugoslavian judge screwed him, I think this is this is this goes down as a win in the uh, SpaceX books. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175, Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Crowdfunding update for January 10th, 2015, 69,201,000. So we're owed yet another letter from the chairman here whenever he gets around to it. 721,000 plus citizens and 593,000 members of the UEE and 9,000 jump-in citizens and another 9,000 jump-in UEE ships. Think about this. If there are a million user purchase ships in the verse, that means that they're going to have to simulate 9 million NPC ships or so. That's a huge simulation. Star Citizens coming to San Antonio. That's right. All of y'all in Texas. And I think that's how you pronounce it, isn't that right, Tony? Because you're kind of All y'all. Yeah, there you go. All y'all. Right, nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you. And, uh, of course, those of you who are willing to travel will get the chance to attend Star Citizens' first town hall event running alongside PAX South. This event will consist of two parts, a series of panels during the day, and a meet-and-greet slash mix-and-mingle, including a presentation from Chris Roberts himself on the evening. The event will be focused on the Persistent Universe, with the first panel focusing on careers, the second panel focusing on a living, breathing world, or universe, and the third and final panel will let us players know what we can expect when the social module goes live. Tickets are now available, priced at $30 for a whole day and $15 for an evening only. So if you fancy going, head on over to the RSI homepage and grab yours now. I will not make it. Jeff, are you going to make it? No, I'm not going to make it. Lennon, are you going to do some international traveling? Or even have you been I'm actually going to make this one. Again? No, no, I'm going to make, make this one. No, no, of course I'm not. Yeah, if, especially if you have to travel through Canada, because isn't, you know, aren't, aren't you still persona non grata? <laughs> I might not be allowed in Canada. Yeah, there is a slight possibility <laughs> of that. Well, you are a Crown citizen, so, I mean, Canada and the Crown are pretty... You know. <laughs> yeah, but the Canadian government and me aren't very friendly, so it's you know, a, and, I may and, have a know, black stamp on my passport from overstaying my welcome. And the thing is, is about Lenin, if you're going to piss off a country, you might as well piss off the Canadians. Mm. I mean, they're hard to piss off in, just in general, but you know that Lenin did it right. If a sovereign country's mad at Lenin, you know he must have done it right. Yeah, especially one like Canada. I mean, what's the saying? It's like demons run for cover when a gentleman comes to anger or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yes, that's right. <laughs> and if you think that's hardcore, wait till WTF is the FTPS module. <laughs> yeah. That's right, we got another Lenin story. <laughs> Episode 29 of Reverse the Verse is now available on the CIG Twitch channel. For those who don't know, Reverse the Verse is an informal live show that follows around the verse where James, Ben, and Will interact with the community through the chat roll. In this week's episode, Ben says, Forget everything you know about the weapons class system. It's changing. As a new weapons classification system is in development. 
Although, naturally, Ben doesn't give us a date or, heck, even a date window, but we're given the feeling that we should look out for an announcement soon, trademark registration patent pending. Yeah, I'm so glad that this has come up because I think the current system is confusing as hell. I agree, yeah. You've got a Class 1 size that can have up to a size 2 gun, a class 3 that can have up to a size 1, and a class 4 that I don't even know what that does anymore. Is that the the turret? I think the class 5 is the turret, yeah. Yeah, so I completely lost track of it. I'm hoping they're just going to call the hard points what they are. Fixed gun hard point. I'm hoping that the, the mount points will now just be descriptive. Like, it's a fixed gun, or this is a missile hard point, or this is a manned turret hard point. And then what size weapons fit on that are a completely different thing. Just conflating numbers with numbers doesn't help. So you have a class one and a size one. You know, there's there's too many instances of one. If you had small, medium, large, ginormous... Yeah, excessive. And, uh, yes, like I said, fixed gimbal. You, you do start running out of acronyms after a while, you know. Oh, no, uh, give me give me, give me, me ten minutes. Give me ten minutes. <laughs> no, uh, give I'm me sure. ten minutes and a thesaurus. I'll, I'll get this straightened out. No problem. I'm going to have to get you to have a word with our ISP then, because when they first launched, my ISP had uh, internet packages. You had small, medium, and large, and then mm-hmm. they brought out another one, and it was extra large, and then they dropped small. So at one point, medium was the smallest package you could get. And it's like, this you guys is clearly... like fries sizes in the United States. Right, yeah, exactly. What, yeah, do you guys yeah. even know what medium means? It's yeah. the one in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some people. Again, yes. 10 minutes in a thesaurus, we'll have this all straightened out. In addition to weapon system changes, we also learned that the Banu Merchantman still exists. Phew. The whole sea is being concepted by Jim Martin, the same guy who did the Freelancer. Gurmak Basin, uh, the ship concept artist at CIG, is concepting the Aegis Bulldog, and that the entire Bulldog development process will be filmed at Santa Monica. Also, a flyable Gladius is in the works very, very soon, but there's no trademark or registration or patent pending symbol after this one, so I don't know what very, very soon means. The Sky Flyable, hopefully sooner than later, also no trademarking on that one. And the Retaliator, close to hangar ready... But the 890 jump is in a holding pattern until it is needed in the game. Well, I'm glad that Gladius is is uh, making an appearance very, very, very soon. No, very, very soon. TM. No, no, wait. <clears> no, there are no TM. Just means very, very soon. The 890 jump. Let's let's be honest. We don't need that anytime soon. At well, the PU all. is right. really when we need something of that sort of magnitude. I, I imagine it might be fun to have a Squadron 42 rescue the rich people scenario, but I mean, <laughs> I could wait till Chapter Three or Chapter Four, or a, a battle of the pirates versus rescuers over over an 890 jump or something. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean that could be fun, but then you just need the exterior for that. You wouldn't have to actually. Right. It. Of course, the first-person people will be mad at us now for saying you don't need to board something in a, in a fight. Never mind, we should move on before we get into trouble. And there's a ton of other good stuff we haven't mentioned, like the Avenger variants and Oculus Rift issues, but the list is too long to go over in the show. So we encourage you to check it out uh, for yourself. Links will be in the show notes. Oh, and CitizenCon will be in Manchester this year, so we hope to get our resident Brit on the case. Another month has gone by, and so we have another monthly report where all the teams from around CIG and its associates chip in and let us know what they've been up to. As all sits and sieves know, the monthly reports are huge, so we won't bore you with reading it all out loud. We will, however, let you know a few things that piqued our interest. First up, in case you're wondering, the Sucker Punch Canyons have yet to be balanced, as confirmed by CIG Santa Monica, but fear not, that should be getting fixed in the next patch. CIG Austin gave a huge thanks out to those devs who helped fix the issues with Arena Commander 1.0 by giving up their holiday. Something we all here all thank you for as well. Boundary 42 nearly had the Retaliator hangar ready and will be starting work on the Idris and the Javelin next. Elephonic are hard at work on the FPS module, confirming two levels will be finished by the end of January. And finally, Moon Collider say that they didn't run into as many AI issues with the Arena Commander 1.0 as they were expecting, which has allowed them to push further forward with Squadron 42 and the Persistent Universe work. One thing that I really quite liked about this was the confirmation from Ilphonic that the two FPS module levels will be finished by the end of January. Now, we knew that the FPS module was supposed to be coming soon this year, but this is well on target for the prediction that we made last week, that it will probably hit around the April sort of time. So, yeah, I think that kind of points to good things that everything's still on track there, even though it's only a subtle one line in the whole report. Well, we got to get our subtlety. You know, we got to take that and extract from it what we can, because that's all we're going to get. They're not going to give us hard dates anymore, that's for sure. Well, still, though, I, I really appreciate the monthly report and the fact that they are communicating their progress to the rest of the community. 
I agree. I mean, it's yeah. nice to get something from each individual studio as well. You know, this is what we're doing. This is the progress we've had. These are some of the troubles that we've run into. You know, right. all that's very good. Is it only just me, or does it actually make you feel like a board member because you are literally looking at a report from every single section? It's just kind of like you just want to thumb through it and then go, "Okay, carry on. Good work, guys." You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, yes. I mean, we've we've gone over on the show before how there's not hmm. the traditional sort of investor give and take checks and balances on this project that there would be with a publisher model or a publicly owned company or anything like that. This is about as good as we're going to get. And I say good in, in, in quotes. I don't mean to mean something's good or bad, but this is the equivalent. You'd have to you'd expect as somebody who is supposed to be supervising an investment. We're not going to get charts and pie graphs and profit and loss statements. But then again, no one at that company has to take the time to prepare pie charts and profit and loss statements and, and, and graphs. And, and no do I, nor do I care about that level of detail. I mean, there are probably yeah. one or two or, or a few individuals, considering the, the citizenship, that sure. might care. Yeah. That might care. But really, we don't really need that kind of level of detail. No, no, exactly. And the thing is, I mean, it's, you know, you'd have the internal company people, the internal accountants and stuff, who would have the raw spreadsheets and whatever accounting program they'd use, but they'd have to export that into some sort of presentable manner where it has proprietary information pulled out, like employee social security numbers and stuff like that. You know, that takes time and effort to do that. We don't need it. Some people may want it, like you said, Jeff, but we don't need it. This is about as good as we're going to get. It's the analog to what those reports would be. It's nice to see it on a regular recurring basis, and it's nice to see that it's something they take seriously enough to actually get out the door on time. Aaron, uh, at least, it sounds like he wrote the introduction to the Foundry 42 report. So it's like, you know, pretty senior people, at least, are, are if not passing on the reports, contributing to them, even, in some instances. So it, it, it's it's good to see this kind of attention and effort in the communication to the community. I like it. Now, one thing that I've noticed, though, is that these do tend to go through phases with how they're received by the community. You know, even us as a podcast, we don't cover them every single month they come out, because a lot of the times they just tend to repeat the news that has been released. Now, the good thing about the December one is that it comes during a dry period. Obviously, it's the holidays. They haven't been doing as much work as normal. So this type of communication is huge. It's on bulk. And it really does give a a really good recap of absolutely everything that they've been up to and helps to fill that void, that content drought, if you like. So do you think that these monthly reports, though, even though right now this one is being particularly well received, is it the sort of thing that we actually need on a monthly basis? Or do you think they'd be better off as quarterly reports? No, monthly. I think monthly is fine. It's good to hear news once, at least once a month. I wouldn't want them any any more frequent. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think I think it's important to know that in the day to day sort of release schedule that they've you know, put for themselves, the week to week stuff that we count on is mostly the community stuff. You know, the around the verse and reverse the verse and ten for the chairman, all that kind of stuff. The stuff that's supported by subscriber money. Which, you know, according to them, if the subscriber money takes a turn south, they'll just start cutting community communications like that, right? Mm. But the monthly reports, I think that that should be something that's completely separate from any sort of community-driven or community-funded communications effort. That, as we're saying here, is the analog to a board report. And if everybody knows that everyone in the community is expecting a monthly report, then they're keeping track of that. It's an internal deadline, an internal goal an internal milestone that they know they need to hit once a month so that they can say, this month we've made good progress, X, Y, Z. And finally in our news roundup, Chris was in Manchester this week, so we're treated to another episode of 10 for the Writers, where Dave Haddock and Will Weisbaum answer all the law questions we could possibly want. In this edition, we learn that in order to flesh out the universe and make it seem like a living, breathing place, that there will be dissent within the races and factions. So, unlike, say, the Klingons in Star Trek, where everyone is a proud warrior, or the Romulans who always like to hide in the shadows, Star Citizen's factions will feature individuals from all walks of life, which means that somewhere out in the deep black, there may be some restless individuals of, for example, the Banu, who may wish to cease all trading with humans, whilst that's not what the race as a whole would want to do there are individual groups within this and another interesting point that came up was the use of weapons of mass destruction wmds and nukes in the future as asked by citizen trent hawkins and the writers decided to reply and let him know that they haven't quite decided what to do with nukes it's likely that they'll feature but they don't want you to be able to say approach a city and just release five of them on mass and completely floor the place now tony i know that you watched this and you had a couple of thoughts that you wanted to share as well 
Yeah, I, I especially was intrigued with the Banu thing uh, hmm. because there was a jump cut right in the middle. So it seemed like they were going to start talking about some of the ideas that they had for the Banu in particular, and then there was a cut. And then it said, yeah, well, we're not really ready to talk about this just yet. So it's just like they have stuff and it's 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 brewing and it's, it's percolating, but they, they're not ready to share it yet. So that Banu faction thing is, is a real thing that they're actually working on right now. So I thought that was interesting. Also, I like when we can now start saying instead of in the persistent universe or in the PU, we can now say in the PU because that's how they're referring to it there. I caught that. that was, I thought that was funny, too. In the pew. Also, you know how sometimes when we do the radio programs and the preludes and stuff we do, Lennon? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, when you cut off, you know, when, it, the, when the communication is sort of cut off and it's uh, one person stops talking and is ready for uh, to receive the other person's transmission, you know, those little computery sounds? Yeah. I think we're going to need a clown horn from then on uh, oh, because, because that's the what they were saying in the universe is that your wingman will have a clown horn. Yep. So we, we got that directly from the writers. So um, everybody <laughs> just, just realize that that's coming. And that when your wing when your wingman signs off, it'll be a uh, instead of a. So just know that that's coming. We heard it straight from the uh, the developers, so it's, it's it's a thing. But now it's time for news we didn't use. The latest entry into the Galactic Guide, the Haiti system. Lots of ghosts and ghouls, but the truth is out there. An advert appears for a breeding pair of black-fringed starry flounders, but something's fishy. Fan Spotlight, Wallpaper, Round 3. Freshen up your desktop with these gorgeous works of art. And Around the Verse, Episode 26, featuring an interview with junior technical designer Patrick Salerno. Well, guys, I was kind of absent at the beginning of the week, so I'm hoping mm. that one of you guys might be able to answer a question for me. What's that? Where the f*** is the first-person shooter module? I don't care. I know you don't <laughs> care, Jeff, but Lennon does. Best answer of the show. Let's never ask this question again. <laughs> but it's the next module that we're anticipating, and if they get this right, it means we're one step closer to multi-crew multiplayer, right? Yep. It means they've got local physics sort of worked out, right? If right? you say yeah. so. <laughs> but I don't think that one is dependent on the other, and I don't really care to play PvP in space. Well, this is the roadmap they've got built out. First, the first-person shooter comes out, and then we get multi-crew multiplayer. Every question that we ask is one step closer to asking the ultimate question, where is the persistent universe? Right, the pew. The pew, sorry, where, where is the pew? Where is the pew? But since we don't have either the pew or the multi-crew multiplayer or even the first-person shooter module, we have to ask what everyone's done this week. Lennon, what did you do this week, Lennon? Well, I got a bit bored on Monday, so I thought, let's liven things up a bit. And I decided to take a very stupid decision that resulted in me drinking some coffee machine descaling fluid and spending a couple of days in a hospital. Uh, I, here's the thing. I mean, as you were you were sort of chatting with us in Gchat, sort of yeah. not exactly as it happened, but throughout the process, from time to time, you keep us updated on your health and well being. Which you know, of I thought I was going to die. <laughs> you know, how, in hell, now, Lennon, how in okay. the hell, Lennon? How in the hell did did it was it was the bottle just like a like was it like just like did it look like scotch? I mean, did, well, did it look like Kool Aid? I mean, t- tell us how it got from container clearly marked poison into your esophagus funnily enough um as you might guess it's a story about coffee i'm not really a morning person well i guess right. you know technically speaking it's now 3 30 <laughs> in the morning but this particular just morning, late at night for you yeah exactly it was more about the 8 30 mark i just got into work and it's not unusual with the amount of coffee that we get through in the day with our coffee machine to still have some water left in it from the previous afternoon so I walked in, I looked at the coffee machine, the first thing I saw was a, a level of liquid on the side of the machine. I thought, oh good, there's water in it, that's just going to cut down my time, throw the coffee grounds in, switch it on to boil and percolate and all that sort of good stuff. Unbeknownst to me, it was actually coffee machine cleaning fluid that was in there, about to be put on a rinse cycle. I kind of got to the coffee machine before the person who was doing oh. the cleaning did, I brewed a coffee with it, I poured it out. Now... This is where a sensible man would have stopped after a couple of phases. But just to explain the story in full, the first thing I did is poured the coffee into the cup, put some milk in it, and the milk instantly curdled. 
So my first reaction was, oh, the milk's gone. That's bad bad milk. Yeah, <laughs> oh, bad no. milk, right? So, oh, But we have had issues with our fridge, so I thought, well, maybe it's just a little bit frozen, and I gave it, like, a good, you know, good swig good of shake. the coffee. Yeah, yeah. and uh, gave, gave the coffee a bit of a slurp, and I was like, oh, God, that tastes disgusting. The milk is clearly gone. So I went and shouted at the guy who bought the milk for buying bad milk, and he was like, well, I made a cup of tea with it earlier, and it was fine. I was like, well, clearly you're mental, so I'm not listening to you. I'm going to go and like get some more milk. So did that, came back, round two of the coffee, put more milk in it, and that instantly curdles as well. And I think, well, there's something really not right here. Science, science tells you. <laughs> yeah, so it's instantly curdled, and I tip it away, and then I'm thinking, you know what? I don't mind coffee black. I'll just have it black. That'll be <laughs> fun. <laughs> so then... <laughs> I pour out a mug of coffee, and by this point, I'm like, you know, half an hour beyond the point where I needed coffee, so this was getting a life or death now. So I think, I'm just going to down this as quick as I can. So I put some cold water in it, I fire a shot of it backwards. I'm like, what the hell? And just, yeah, then I discover that there's something wrong with the coffee. And at which point, the person who was cleaning the machine comes back in and was like, who the hell drank the descaler? I was like, oh, the what? Yeah, that'll be me. And, uh... Oh, anyway, oh. cue cue a quick phone call to the uh, to the emergency uh, department, and uh, yeah, I got taken in. I got hooked up to all sorts of various stuff, and the nurses had a, a bit of a laugh about how yeah. the idiot who. Ooh, <laughs> who can we have the machine that goes beep? <laughs> yeah, ping? seriously, you know, machine that goes bing. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's that's what I've been doing this week, and uh, since then I haven't really had much time for gaming because I've had to uh, just make sure that I don't die. Uh, what have you two been up to? Nothing, nothing that interesting. Nothing nearly that exciting. I've had I've had a lot of busy work projects uh, keeping me from from doing any gaming this week myself. But uh, Jeff, have you had any fun besides catching a, a deathly illness? Computer Earl Grey hot. <laughs> <laughs> Extra descaler. Yeah. 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 No, I'll, I'll switch to tea after hearing that coffee story. <laughs> but uh, nothing, nothing anyway, this week. just continuing on with, with uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. That's about it. Oh, that's always good. So, uh, so kids, uh, this week, an important science tip. Uh, if the milk curdles twice, it's probably the coffee. Yeah. And that just, brings us to this week's community true. question. When would you have stopped drinking the coffee that was clearly poisoned? <laughs> At what point would the warning signs have gone through your non-caffeinated uh, awareness? Mm. So, and just to let you guys know, if, if you end up in trouble in the verse, these are the people you're going to be calling. Okay, so number one rule, don't get into trouble. Uh, number two rule, expect idiots like me to turn up if hang, you do. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We never said we were the poison control people. Well, yeah, that's true. We're not the poison control. Yeah, we're not the poison control people. We're like, you know, the traumatic injury, you know, uh, in trouble with the pirates sort of people. Poison control hotline is a completely different thing. We're you're the not, people that carry around the machine that goes bing. <laughs> well, we'll have that. So, you know, if, if you're attacked by pirates after you drink the bad coffee, we'll hook you up to the machine that goes bing. Uh, but until then, uh, you might be better off just calling poison control. And this week's community question, how often do you want to hear from the studios? Happy with the monthly report, or do you want charts on your desk first thing in the a.m.? Let us know. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. Well, now that we're all caught up with the latest news from around the verse, let's go and learn about Nick's in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. LexLore Information Systems sponsors the following data drop on the Nick system. Remember, contact LexLore before going into the unknown for all your travel and safety info needs. The following opinions are those of the opinionators and may not reflect those of this broadcast station. The Nick system was discovered in 2582 when solo nav jumper Carla Larry traversed the jump point in the Stanton system. She didn't have a lot to say about the system other than it quote, lacks significant mineral deposits or logical reason to apply the expense of terraformation, unquote. In accordance with established policy, the UEE ignored Carla's attempts to name the three planets Lou, Morgan, and Ashley. These were the names of three separate romantic conquests she was pursuing. History does not seem to record if this left an impression on any of the three. 
as far as resources, the system does indeed not have a lot to offer anymore. There is a large, dark nebula that shrouds all three planets. The nebula's component gases hamper scanners and visibility, which make it an ideal hiding place. Nix-1 was picked clean soon after its discovery, and in just 50 years, the military machine gobbled up all the resources to feed the limitless gullet of the war effort. Today, Nix-1 is a barren rock with almost no evidence of human habitations. Nix-2 is a planet full of desolation and a smog of corrosive gases. Located just inside the green zone of the system, the planet was deemed able to be terraformed, but not worth the generations of effort. As it stands, the high pressure and toxic atmosphere make EVA a task to be avoided, except in emergencies. Nix-3 is a dim rock of frozen water and ammonia vapor. If you had to land your ship here for EVA repairs, you could, but you'd probably find yourself wishing for the calm of vacuum. Like Nix-2 and what's left of Nix-1, Nix-3 is devoid of useful resources. However, between Nix-2 and 3, there is the system's asteroid belt, which contains small settlements as well as a large moonlet named Delamar, with a much larger settlement. Delamar is hard to reach, despite being the largest rock in the field. During the oppressive Messer era, freethinkers ventured out to Delamar to settle. It is still a haven for political radicals and those with anti-EE sediments. However, most UEE officials believe that the current residents mostly protest just to be protesting. There have been no incidences serious enough to cause the UEE to go to the effort to raid the station. However, Nix has built a reputation as being a place to hide, and many wanted criminals have begun to inhabit the area. This is much to the chagrin of the political activists who think the acts of the present criminals are undermining their message of protesting whatever it is they're protesting. If you are making the Castro-Stanton run, stay on the clear shipping lanes to avoid pirates hiding in the nebula. You might gain reputation for cutting length off your journey, but you might also be permanently delayed if you aren't able to handle that which you might find. The pirate raids that do happen are likely from bases inside the asteroid field. If you're going to make a stop in the system, perhaps say for refueling or for repairs, make sure you bring survival goods to barter for the best results, as those types of items are the most valued in the system. After all, there's not a lot of trade in anything else that goes on in Nix. This has been a LexLore Data Drop. LexLore, for all your info needs. Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a nugget of lore some Sith or Siv taught you that we all should know? Let us know by dropping us an email at squawkatguardfrequency.com. But for now, let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's seen the Lion King 1,780 times, and if you lick his chest, it tastes exactly the same as Shiracha hot sauce. But all we know is that he's called the Shiv, and he put together this week's feedback. From our show post at GuardFrequency.com, Sean Newboy writes, I am all about the function over the form. I would rather have a ship with a missing or glitched texture than a ship that did not work. Wonderful episode, everyone. As for ideas, there have been some wonderful new pictures from the Hubble recently. Oh, my. The new Pillars of Heaven. Oh, I know. You know that, that iconic oh, uh, picture of gorgeous. the Borset Nebula? The thing about them, though, is that we know that they are no longer in existence because right. there's a supernova that we've been sort of watching get ever so slightly closer literally in our time now they are no longer but it's you know it's great that because of how light works we can literally see into the past as we look across the void there so those pictures though the resolution is just incredible ostron writes in and says great show welcome back lennon your melodious tenor was sorely missed oh thanks are you gonna be singing anymore well scaler i couldn't really sing to begin with so probably not really Blame it on that in the future. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Uh, Ostrom goes on to say, I have no problem with overriding function to a certain point. I've read a lot of hard sci-fi books, and invariably, all of the spacecraft end up being various sizes of cylinders or ovoids. Also, Chris has pointed out, realistically, space combat plays out as two remote-controlled objects just firing missiles at each other from very long distances, usually measured in astronomical units. That game could theoretically be tactically challenging, but I don't think it would be as visually stimulating. Anyone who's taken college physics or actually flown an aircraft or spacecraft cringes when people ask for realistic physics the same way combat veterans do when people want a realistic shooter game. Yeah, I don't think we, so here at the, at the show, mind form overriding function so much as I prefer to function was well-defined before they went drawing the forms. Yeah. Uh, 
I think that was a missed opportunity. And with the Hornet being in the shape that it was in the early demos that Chris Roberts showed off before the crowdfunding really took off, they had a good basis there to say, look, the thrusters are going to move and fire in all directions, so they need to be put someplace where they can move and fire in all directions. And the engine on the back makes it go forward. And then you can have any other bits that you want sticking off of it. But here's what it's supposed to look like. I wish they had followed through with that aesthetic and that design philosophy throughout the entire line of ships. Yeah, because I mean, even like TV shows like Star Trek, they nailed down their function before they nailed down the form because the sort of design goal there was that it was supposed to be like tall ship combat, but in space. Right. Which is fine. It's not realistic in the slightest. You know, if your ship gets shot, you don't suddenly bank and start drifting on what would be considered like vertically downwards. The vertical plane, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it works for their intended flight model, as it were. And then they built the ships around that. So yeah, it doesn't have to be realistic per se. It just has to be nailed down and then designed around it, I feel. Yeah, yeah. In the early 1960s, you know, Roddenberry came down and said, there will not be flames shooting out the back of these ships. They are going to be propelled by advanced technological forces, blah, blah, blah. And then they went from there. I, I just wish they'd done that with, with these ships. The excellent point about asking for, quote, realistic physics, like in a combat shooter and a, or a flight model. Yeah, exactly. Just from my own personal knowledge, my brother-in-law trains police people. And the usual first-person shooter combat, quote, quote, lasts about five seconds. From start to finish, it's not long. And that would not make a fun, quote, game. It would just be a very tense situation, a lot of sweating, and then five seconds of, of gunfire exchange, and that's over. So, yeah, there's got to be some trade-offs to make it a game. But start from a basis from the beginning, design around that. Kenitsu writes in and says, For a thruster discussion, I turned into Bodhi's. Reasoning he brought up in his modularity series, part two to be exact, the link is in the show notes, go to a 6.25 or so when it switches to thrusters. The point being, thrusters need to be more powerful than the main engine, but burn out much more rapidly. Not just the thrusters' fuel, but also durability. Not to mention the signature from a long, full burn of thrusters. I will fall in love with a ship by the looks alone, just as easily as by its functionality. Like I bought a Banu Merchantman and a Xeon Scout for the designs alone. I also have an Aurora, which I find an ugly, red-headed stepchild for its, <laughs> for its durability and modularity. But screw the Mustang. Uh, I mean, the space pony. I CCU'd my uh, Omega from the Never Settled to the 315P the moment I could. I went to uh, Nabote's stuff, his YouTube videos. Really well done. I'm, yes. I was very impressed. He's got a whole series on modularity. Just fantastic. Highly recommend everybody follow that link in the show notes. And, and very and easy to understand as well. Very accessible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, just just an excellent series all around. And he, he likened the thrusters to the tires on your car, right? That's the part that actually makes your ship go. And he explains the disparity between what your engine can do and what a thruster can do that way. Beer for the Beer God writes in and says, I'm a fan of function over form. Ships like the Star Fury in Babylon 5 prove that a design can look cool and still have a solid foundation in physics. Do you have a reference for that, Tony? Because I talked to you about Babylon 5 the other night and you said you hadn't had watched it. I didn't. I still haven't gotten into it yet. My wife is making me watch Parks and Recreation and 30 Rock. That's what we're on now. Oh, but I think I know what this one is. This is the one that looks like a big gigantic X, right? It's got the engines on the ends of the X and the pods in the middle. Yes. I've always thought that like the X-Wing would be a really good fighter, and I guess like the Star Fury 2, if you would just put the engines on the edge, because then you don't need really maneuvering thrusters. Then you just fire one engine or another to make it spin and yaw and rotate. You know, it, it just would make more sense. From SquawkyGuardFrequency.com, Crow writes and says, I think that the form versus function argument was made and came down the side of form long before any of us ever saw the first video trailer. Remember, the flight model is essentially World War II dogfighters in space, with a fairly low speed cap and all that implies. The game I personally want to play has its root in Star Wars, Star Trek, and Battlestar Galactica, not in the Mercury and Apollo programs. Good point. But, I mean, I think I would take issue with his idea the flight model was baked in because, as I said, the Hornet was their primary showcase, and it was a central mass, lots of thrusters around it, and a big engine on the back. I think they had the right idea and should have just worked off that. Right. I think so, too. I completely agree with what Krell says here, is that I want to play a game that has its roots in Star Wars, Star Trek, and Battlestar Galactica, uh, because I've got a game that's based on Mercury and Apollo, and it's called Kerbal. Yeah, exactly. That game is out there. 
Sealdian gets the Tony Award this week because he sends an extremely wordy message uh, via our Patreon post. The Shiv ran it through his TLDR donator, and this is what came out. First off, I'm telling Chris on you, Jeff. Too funny. What? What did I do? I didn't do anything. (laughs) That's why you gotta listen to the live show, folks. Uh, I was also surprised at the thread regarding thrusters. I often wondered about the uh, OP's topic on thruster equivalents, and I was glad to see it being addressed by Mr. Pritchett. Didn't expect his response to be so candid. Chris Roberts successfully knew that ships would sell the game. Oh, yeah. Cool ships that look cool and are fun to fly. For those who think CIG have been disingenuous about their definition of a space sim, you guys are taking it all too seriously. As you guys said, this game has been redefined and is now a first-person universe, not a space sim anymore. As a pilot, I appreciate the realism, but flight sims are boring as hell. I personally am happy to forego certain aspects of realism to affect my fun meter to the positive. Flying AC now, I am lost in the fun of it and therefore suspend my reality for the quote star citizen reality that is being offered. It's okay in a game to put design over function. It's interesting that you guys are surprised by this. We're not, We're not surprised. surprised. We just We're want not. to be consistent. Right, exactly. Saldian goes on to say, lastly, it's unfair to compare the CIG of last year and their production record to today's CIG. I believe with Tony Z and Alex M on the job, releases will be early and often. Look at 1.0. I'd bet some UEC that Alex M highly encouraged Chris Roberts to push 1.0 out before the holidays. Uh, Yeah, probably. That dovetails nicely with my prediction for 2015. We're probably going to see with this management team on, with the early initial hurdles cleared, probably going to see a better cadence of releases. From Twitter, Tabascoid writes and says, I'm listening to At Guard Freaks episode 50 bloopers and laughing my way through the subway. People now look at me very strangely. Well, probably did before that you just hadn't noticed. Right. Now you have a reason to check out. Oh, now I'm self-conscious. I'm laughing out loud. Oh, they're, yeah, they're, they're looking at me now. Probably right. First, first problems to the tune of Call Me Maybe. Uh, Shiv, I am not singing. Not in my condition. Tony, oh, come will on. you take this one? Uh, uh, fine, 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 fine. All right, all right. Uh, <clears throat> Greetings, Sits and Sivs. This is Assistant Audio Engineer Michael Duncan. What you should be hearing now are the titillating tones of Tony singing what can only be described as quite possibly the world's worst rendition of Call Me Maybe. Unfortunately, we're unable to let this part air, as it is a clear violation of FCC Title 18, Section 1464, Article 3 of the Geneva Convention, as well as Convention 15 of the Shadow Proclamation. The abomination is now coming to a close, so I'll return you to your regularly scheduled entertainment. Yeah, I think I liked it better when he was just making puns all the time. Uh, okay. songs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, yeah, just, no. I don't think I want to do that anymore. But if we tell him this, he's going to take it as a challenge and insist on writing more songs. <laughs> We don't have to read them on there. He can write as many as he wants to. Well, that's true. I'm under no obligation to read them. <laughs> Shiv can put them in the show notes, and we can just cut them out. We can just just edit it right out. Just boom, you know, gone. Yeah. So, but but if he writes a pun, we might put it on the air and groan about it. It's your move, first first problems. Your move, man. From Reddit.com, we hear from Half Shark Half Man. By now, I am looking forward every week to the next Guard Frequency. Yes. All right. Yes, we're now officially addictive. Yes. And in reply to us having crystal balls, KT Corn says, you might want to get some lotion from the VD store. It's good advice. From our amazing donors of monetary goodness, Random.org chose Jamie Moran as a winner. The Shiv has stickers in his possession. We'll be mailing them soon. Click on the giant P on the Guard Frequency page and become a Patreon today. And this week's community question, how often do you want to hear from the studios? Happy with a monthly report? And maybe you want to see charts on your desk first thing in the a.m.? Let us know. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post it on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. And you got to let us know, how was the show? Was it win? Was it fail? Did it make you do a Kermit flail? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. You can subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just search for us on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and start an argument on our Reddit at guardfreak.reddit.com. Leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. 
And that'll bring us to the end of episode 54 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 55 on January 20th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can also use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Well, if so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you just can't get enough spaceship podcasting, then you should check out our sister production, Priority One. They cover Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe, so just head on over to priorityonepodcast.com. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash org forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday nights, then you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 8 p.m. Central, and that's Sundays at 2 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Simon Trollton Edwards, and our assistant audio engineers, Michael Duncan and Skiffy. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work, including his newest release, Alphanumeric. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Command to 330, Carol 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. So hang on, next two is a planet full of desolation and a smog. It's the desolation of smog. Ah, oh, good God, Shiv. Our latest patron is Jackimum Dijong. Nice try about Joachim Dijong. Oh, Joachim Dijong. Okay. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist. Is that even a word? No, and it's the same it's every week. It's the same every week. It's the same every week. Do we repeat that enough? I don't know, but I think it's the same every week. It we is should do this week. next week and just let everybody know it's the same every week. We just <laughs> Enter SpaceX. In that company's crusade to lower loss cons. <laughs> so can I put a class one and a class two mount? I, I hear that's legal in your state now, Jeff. I, I, yeah. Also a flyable gladiator. <laughs> But fear not. Should getting the pick... Uh, why can't I read? It's the cold medicine. Syrup. And the scotch. Oh, mm. not, no scotch yet. That's after the show. Oh, is that what I've been doing wrong? Ugh. But fear not. That should be... Ah, uh, man. Boundary 42 nearly had the retaliator hangar ready and will be starting to work... Oh, God. <laughs> I just can't get through this copy. Uh, hang on. Let me. Get, I'm gonna put on my glasses and see if that helps. <laughs> and have scotch. I think that's gonna go into the blooper reel as it is. Ten minutes of misreading flow with. Hang on. I'm gonna get my glasses. <laughs> get my glasses. <laughs> okay. Um. I would just like to say before we go into the discussion that before glasses, torture. After glasses. <laughs> Smooth. Oh, smooth as butter. Smooth. Well, I don't normally... Yeah. Need, um, I, they're only reading glasses. They're like a 1.2 or something like that. But Right. Some, they're reading glasses for... <laughs> what were you reading. doing just then? Oh, right. Reading. Reading. Right. right. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, 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 for up <laughs> that's for up close. When my mo but my monitor is far enough away, I can see the text just fine. And, and, and to be fair, Tony, uh, they're not talking uh, in broadcasting glasses, are they? They're not broadcasting glasses. No, that's true. They're not broadcasting glasses. So just know that that's coming. We heard it straight from the uh, from the the developers, so it's 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 a thing. <laughs> How you doing, Jeff? I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying really hard not to make noise, but it's really difficult. That's okay. It's the cold medicine talking, or the Kleenex, or yeah. You get one of those little blue squeegee balls, like for tiny babies. No, no, those just... work really good. Thanks for the mental image. Sorry, the no problem. <laughs> blue squeezy balls for tiny babies. Have you not seen those? The blue squeezy things. Le uh, um, Lennon hasn't had kids, so he doesn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he doesn't know what we're talking about. Things? 
Well, I do, but if they're sick, I stay away from them. I mean, they're germ bags at the best of times. <laughs> well, just for your edification, then, for uh, uh, there's the it's it's a small rubber uh, contraption. It's a ball essentially, yeah. and instead of the ball being perfectly round, the the there's a nozzle, a long, thin nozzle, maybe three inches, four inches long, that comes off the top, and it's hollow. So that you can squeeze the the ball and air will come out of the uh, the nozzle at the top. Mm-hmm. Then you can stick that nozzle up the nose of the nearest uh, germ bag that has a lot of you know, snot and mucus up in there. And then you release the ball, which of course creates a vacuum and yes. sucks all of the offensive goo out of the germ bag. Of course, uh, you have to clean the ball afterwards. It, uh, it, yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite a disgusting process, but. It's always hilarious to watch the reaction of the germ bag in question yeah. when they have a giant vacuum sucked, uh, sucking stuff out of their nose. I've always found that to be the only really redeeming part of using this contraption. It sounds uh, so. disgusting. It is. It's, it's it quite is. disgusting. But like I said, the look on the tiny germ bag's face when that happens is usually kind of amusing. It's the only good thing about it. And just remember this yeah. bit of training for when you have your own because now you'll know what to do. <laughs> Well, that's, I, that's I don't know. True. Is this, is this, maybe it's not a thing in Britain. Maybe they've outlawed it or something. Maybe maybe yeah. the Queen has declared it uh, <clears throat> uh, an American offense. You know, well, American not necessarily. Insult. I mean, James Dyson is a British inventor. We just use Dysons. Just right, 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 right. They just you, you plug the hose up there, switch on the, the yeah the the, the the cyclone device. That's yeah, the one. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And. In the preparation for our show notes, I realize we haven't done a community question yet, so we have to th- think of one now. Hey, uh, let's ask uh, let's ask the chat room. What question do you want us to ask you? This is the benefits of being a live listener. And of course, now sure. I've got to fill in and make good radio because it takes a few seconds to go through, and then they're just sat there going, yeah. But that'll give them time to type the answer to the question. Well, you'd think we that, but they, I've got to be honest, I don't think most of them are really prepared for the level of commitment that we've just thrust upon them. Probably not. Uh, as a matter of fact, many times they complain to us that we're not actually looking at the chat room, which is true uh, well, because I'm busy wrangling the two of you and yeah. a message board. And my daughter, though, won't shut up and keeps slamming doors in the background. Uh, so you know, Hey, I'm, I'm the guy that's busy. here episode after episode, so I don't want to hear anything from you two. Yeah, but I've got to be honest, Jeff. I think you're starting to show signs of taking a downhill at the moment. You might turn up, but you know exactly how alive are you at this point? Yeah, you're you're pumped full of cold medicine. You don't even have your reading glasses on. Yeah, I never have my reading glasses on. It's not. It's not. <laughs> oh well, that explains it. That's, that's <laughs> I walked four episodes of explanation in one sentence. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I walked into that one. All right. Um, how about we ask them about the frequency of the monthly updates? Sure. Why not? That sounds good. This week's community question. How often do you want to hear from the studios? Happy with a monthly report? Or do you want charts on your desk first thing in the AM? Like Lennon's coffee descaler. <laughs> I was oh, going to say, if you could just now just read that a little bit quicker, yes, with I'll, a I'll little less monotone, and we might be able to. Oh, you want less monotone? How often do you want to hear, hear from the studios? Happy Go with back a to monotone. monotone. 